wrap up today our Love Handles series. If you're new to Catalyst, we speak uh, in series. Usually it's about four or five weeks. Uh, so next week we'll kind of kick off a new series with Vision Sunday. But today I wanted to wrap up Love Handles. If you missed any of the messages, check out our YouTube channel. In fact, subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date. But we spoke on singleness and marriage and uh, friendship. And last week, Christina spoke a great word on managing conflict. And today, in the words of the prophetess, salt and pepper. <laughs> Some of you are old enough to know them. Let's talk about sex, baby. That's all I'm going to go, okay? Because the rest of that song I can't endorse. But I know it's your favorite topic, okay? I know. You all been wondering, God, when is pastor going to speak about sex? I know, I know. I know some of you just got very uncomfortable. You're wondering, why did I bring my friend today? <laughs> it's okay, it's okay, it's going to be okay. I'm going to take a deep breath. It's going to be okay, it's going to be okay. We're going to get through this. Um, I'm going to give three disclaimers, though. It's important. Number one. If you have a child in the room right now, now is a great time to check them into our wonderful Catalyst Kids Ministry. I don't believe that I should have the sex talk with your kids. I think you should, parents. Is that fair? All right. Both services we had parents leave with kids, and I I love that because I don't want to have that talk with your kids. I will say terms that your kids will be asking you about later today if they hear today's message. So, Um, uh, number, uh, Number two is... What I'm going to, some things I'm going to say today are culturally unpopular, and they may offend some people. I'm not going to be mean about it. I'm going to be gentle and loving and grace-filled. However, what I'm going to say today is biblical truth, and I know that there are some things I'm going to say today that are unpopular. Lastly, uh, there are some things this topic can sometimes stir up in people, feelings of shame. Usually it's twofold. One, maybe over some things that you've done, maybe some past struggle, some current struggles. Um, and, and here's what I want you to hear from the bottom of my heart as your pastor. If you feel any shame today, that shame is not from God or from me. Can I get an amen? Now, you might feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. That's different. God convicts us so that we would walk in his truth and his ways in a better way, but but not shame over what we've done. And you may feel shame over some sin you've committed. Um, or maybe some of you, you grew up in a church culture where this was the, the message on sex. Sex is bad, save it for your spouse. Come on. <laughs> not very helpful, right? <laughs> it's like sex is terrible. Give it to the one you love, all right? Um, both, uh, you know, I think the, the cultural message that's, fluid regarding sex, and I think the one that's sort of like, let's not talk about it. In fact, culturally, here's our talking about sex as the church. And, and again, I think as a parent, you should have conversations about sex with your children when appropriate. Although for many of you, it might be earlier than you think. Um, and I'll share some statistics why. But the culture's talking about sex. In fact, the American Psychological Association in 2001 published a study They looked at movies and television shows at sexual content. This was 2001, 22 years ago. It's probably higher now. Back then, they found that 68% of television shows had sexual content. It It was a vast increase from years prior. And then we look at pornography on the website. 
Do you know that 30% of all internet traffic right now, on the internet, like right now, is pornography? 30% of all the traffic. Pornography sites have more visitors than Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter combined. Our culture's talking about sex, would you agree? So here's my, 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 my perspective. Is God created sex. So why would we not, as his people, talk about sex? In fact, I'm looking this way. We're going to take back the sex conversation today. Is that okay? We're going to talk about some sex today. And I'm going to share some scriptures that some of you didn't even know were in the Bible. Some of you after today will begin reading your Bibles for the first time. Come on, somebody. I didn't know about this song of Solomon. Do tell. Do tell more. I'm about to open your eyes today. Hey, but listen, here's why it's so important. Because our culture has dominated the narrative. But may I submit to you, it has created pervasive sexual brokenness. Pervasive. Let me give you some statistics. 15% of married women, 25% of married men admit to having an extramarital affair. One out of ten, let me show this one first. The average age that someone is exposed to pornography is 12 years old. Hey, parents, that's why the conversation needs to be had before then. So that parents can have the conversation and set the narrative before pornography. Can I get an amen? amen. And one out of ten children will be sexually abused before the age of 18. I could go on. We could look at sex trafficking, which is in the millions in our world. Can we all agree the sexuality of our culture is pervasively broken? It's creating, it's breaking apart homes. It's creating damage to people's lives. It's assaulting people. But here's the good news. I know it feels real heavy right now, but the good news is coming. Because God's will for your life is that you would live in sexual freedom and find sexual fulfillment in Jesus' name. If you believe it, can you say amen? amen. He wants to have fulfillment. Proverbs says it this way, there is a way that appears to be right. That's the way of the culture. But in the end, it leads to death. There's a, there's a narrative that sexuality, it's like you express your sexuality as you feel it. But it leads to death. It leads to destruction. It's led to damage upon generation and generation and generation. But today, we're going we're gonna to reveal the hand of the enemy. And we're going to experience some sexual freedom and wholeness. In fact, kind of a summary of today's conversation is going to be this, is that sexual freedom and fulfillment is possible when we follow God's plan for our sexuality. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your word. It is a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path as we open up your scriptures today. Father, we know that you're speaking, so we humble ourselves and posture our hearts and minds to receive the words you have for us in Jesus' name. Everybody said Amen. All right, here's point number one. Got three. Today's conversation, the, the message topic is the truth about sex. This is biblical truth about sex. Here's number one, is that sex is from God and sex is good. 
Sex is from God, and it is good. Let's look at the words of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Haven't you read the scriptures? Jesus replied. They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. He said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother, is joined to his wife. The two are united into one. This statement by Jesus, this scripture, is controversial in 2023. Two reasons. He defines gender, male and female. He defines sexuality, man to his wife. Sex, biblically speaking, has a context. It's very clear in the scriptures. That context is between a husband and a wife. It's not between a boyfriend and girlfriend, fiance and fiance, not between a man and a man, not between a woman and a woman, but between a husband and a wife. Can I get an amen, church? I want to be clear. Hey, listen, as Christians, I want you to hear this. We can hold both grace and the truth of the word of God together. To think we cannot is a lie. We can hold and stand firm with the conviction of God's word, which clearly states that there are male and female and it's husband and wife. But we can also be full of grace to those who are living outside of God's context. Amen? Sex is from God. It is, and maybe you're thinking, Pastor, isn't the two becoming one, isn't it about marriage? Let me give you some more scripture. Yes, it's marital, but it's also sexual. 1 Corinthians 6, the Apostle Paul says to the Corinthian church, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. So watch this. Paul says, if you come together in sex with a prostitute, you become one. So it's not just, listen, and sex is not just physical, it's spiritual. Do you know in Exodus 22, it says if a, if a man had sex with a virgin, he had to pay, pay a bride tax. Imagine this. You have a one-night stand. Somebody knocks on your door. Hello? Yes. Congratulations. Happy couple, here's your wedding gift. What are you talking about? You had sex. The two became one. It's bigger than, than, a, than, a, than, than, than just physical. Watch this. Here's how you know sex is a bit more than physical. Watch this. Everybody remembers their first time in detail. You have memories of sexual experiences that seem stronger than other experiences, don't you? Because it's bigger than physical. It's, it's not only spiritual. I want you to see research. We'll share a lot of research today. It's also neurochemical. Helen Fisher, an anthropologist, says that during sex, oxytocin is released in our brains. Oxytocin is a powerful chemical. It's called the love hormone. It's the same chemical released when a mother is breastfeeding her child. It increases emotional attachment between a mother and a child. Watch this. So when you have sex you become more attached to the person you're having sex with. The Journal of Cognitive Neuroscience in 2013, they found that releasing oxytocin during sex, it causes what they call social synchrony 
in coordination. So all of a sudden, your behaviors begin to synchronize. You become what? One. The research supports the word of God. At a neurochemical, behavioral, and psychological level, we become synchronized. We become one with the people we have sex with. This has been in God's word all along, church. God's word shows us this. In fact, Helen Keller says this, anthropologist, again, say loving sex her whole life. She says, casual sex, mind you, this isn't Christian, this isn't like Christian research. She's just an anthropologist, had done study at Harvard, other Ed Rutgers. She says, casual sex isn't so casual. With orgasm, you get a spike of dopamine. Watch this, dopamine's associated with romantic love. And you can just fall in love with somebody you're just having casual sex with. That's why I said a few weeks ago, if you're having sex with somebody that's not your spouse, it's maybe your boyfriend or girlfriend, to determine whether or not that truly is something deeper is stop having sex. Because the anthropologist says when you have sex, you're actually causing yourself to fall more in love with this person because you're having sex with them. With orgasm, you get a real rush of oxytocin, connection. Vasopressin, that will get you high. Dopamine and vasopressin are sometimes released in certain drugs we take. It's because it gets you high. Those are associated with attachment. This is why you can feel such a sense of cosmic union with somebody after you've made love to them. Two become one. Some of you are shocked that I just said orgasm twice. They say orgasm everywhere. We might as well say it in church, okay? <laughs> orgasm. There it is, a fourth time for you. <laughs> hey, but I want you to hear me. Are you, are you hearing me, church? Sex is powerful. I'm, I'm going to say this probably again. God's instruction on sex, he does not want to withhold from you. He's actually trying to protect you. But he loves you. He, he created the vasopressin and oxytocin and dopamine to be released. So when he gives a context for sex, because he doesn't want you to create all of this reaction outside of his context, which is healthiest for us. So what do we do with this knowledge, Pastor? 1 Corinthians six nineteen, Paul says this, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So Paul says we, we don't just have sex as we feel like it. We, we, we live according to the word of God. Years ago during the pandemic, I, we had purchased our kids a play set, like a, like a swing set slide. When we got it, it came with like 327 pieces and this like massive instruction manual. Did your boy put it together? Absolutely not. <laughs> I put nothing together anymore in our household. I employ people who can put things together because your boy is not good at it, okay? I recognize my strengths and my limitations, okay? So when the, when the person came over to put it together, he didn't just go in my backyard and start, like, picking up pieces and be like, ah, I think it's going to go together. Boom, ah, I think it's going to go together right here. Boom, see what happens. We'll see what happens. He looked at the manual 
And he followed the instructions methodically like, okay, this piece goes to this piece and this piece goes to this piece. Here's why. He wanted the play set to function optimally and he didn't want a child to get hurt. But culturally, we are conditioned to treat our sexuality like someone going out and putting a, together a place at haphazardly. Oh, I feel this. Oh, maybe I should do it. I feel this. Maybe I should do it. I feel this. Maybe I should do it. And we wonder why there's so much brokenness. God has given us his word. He's not trying to withhold from you. He's trying to protect you. And his instruction is his word. Listen, if you want the best sex life, which I hope you do. I mean, I want the best sex life possible. I mean, that, that was a good place to say, amen, pastor. You better preach. I expected someone to stand up and shout me down. The recipe is found in God's word. It's in God's word. Let me give you two purposes that the scripture speaks to of sex. Two purposes. Genesis one twenty eight. Beginning of scripture. What does God say? The word says, God blessed them to Adam and Eve. He says, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Govern it. So the number one purpose that God gives for sex is procreation. You know, some in ancient times believed that God was anti-life because they believed God sent plagues to eradicate people. But God's word is very clear. God is pro-life. He's the author of life. And I want you to hear this. Watch this. I love, listen, our God, okay, just, just go with me for a second. Our God could have chosen any means to create life. He could have said, I want you to snap seven times, whistle three times, run two miles around the block, come back, clap four times, boom, baby. He could have. But he said, look, God's like, look at how much I love you. You know how I'm going to create life? Sex. Some of you need to worship God more passionately. You're like, thank you, Jesus. You could have had me do anything, but I get to have sex. Are you kidding me? Whoo! Some of you, that's why we started the worship song today with I thank God. Come on, somebody. <laughs> that's why I was dancing so passionate on front row. I'm like, thank you, Jesus. You could have chose anything, but you chose sex. You just got to read the Bible for what it is sometimes, people, okay? Listen, some of y'all have gone to years of school, have spent thousands of dollars just to, find, just to get a job that you enjoy some of the time. And God said, I'm going to give my greatest work, producing life, the most pleasurable experience. Come on. Our God's good. But not just procreation. I'm about to blow some of your minds because you never heard this in church before. Are you ready? God also created sex for pleasure. Pleasure. <laughs> Song of Solomon. Some of you are about to get this scripture on your bedroom wall. <laughs> this is your new set. You're like, honey, I don't I got a vision from the God. I got to put this on the wall somewhere. It's about to be your favorite book of the Bible. Chapter 7, verse 1. How beautiful... Your sandaled feet, O prince's daughter. It's a husband writing to his wife. Your graceful legs are like jewels, the work of an artist's hands. Listen, y'all. Solomon is spitting some serious game right now. 
Your navel is a rounded goblet that never lacks blended wine. Your waist is a mound of wheat enriched by lilies. Your breasts are like two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle. Now, some of you are thinking, Pastor, why did he call her navel a goblet of wine? Are you ready for this? Hey, husbands, get your notes out. Ready? Write this down. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, baby, your body is intoxicating. <laughs> you better spit that game, Solomon. You go ahead. Go ahead. I'm using that one in my house. Come on, somebody. Ain't no shame in the game. Then he says, you know, your waist is like wheat. You're like, what's he talking about? Here's what he's saying. Write this down. He says, your body is nourishing. <laughs> Write that one down, fellas. Use it. I'm trying to help you. I'm just trying to help you. I'm trying to help you. Hey, enjoy sex with your spouse. Can I get an amen from the married folks? Come on. Enjoy it. Talk about it. How can I better fulfill your needs? How can I better serve you? Man, enjoy sex. God didn't just create sex to be this stale thing you just do to have babies. He also created it so you can enjoy life. Listen, our God is good, all right? All right, he created sex, and it's good. Sex out of God's context is destructive. 1 Corinthians 6.18, Paul says, run from sexual sin. No other sin clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. The word for sexual immorality is the broadest term used in the Greek New Testament. And what it means is any sex outside of God's context of a husband and wife. So any sex. He says it's the only sin that's actually against your body. So notice Paul's strong words. He doesn't say play with it. He says, he says run from it. Get as far away from it. Don't play with it. Don't get near it. But get away from it. Here's what the research shows us about the causes of sex outside of God's context. The Journal of Sex Research in 2014 found that higher levels of general anxiety, social anxiety, and depression amongst people who recently engaged in casual sex. The Journal of Behavioral Development found that pornography users have higher levels of anxiety, body image issues, poorer self-esteem, relationship problems, insecurity, and depression. They found that those who view pornography is associated with lower levels of sexual satisfaction later in life. Here's what the research shows. I want to be clear about. The research supports Paul's words that sexual morality is against yourself. It causes depression, anxiety. Some have found association between casual sex and substance abuse disorders. Like, it creates problems in our life. The, the New York City subway recently passed a law, and they said you cannot bring a dog on the subway unless it fits into a bag. 
And I love New Yorkers. Some of you here are New Yorkers. Because New Yorkers are like, we hear you loud and clear. And they brought some dogs onto the subway in bags. Air quotes. I got a few pictures. Look at this first one here. My girl's got a husky in a Jan Sport backpack. That husky's like, what you doing to me? All right, here's the next one. It's my Ikea, folks. Come on, somebody. Bro, that ain't a bag. I mean, I love the creativity, though. All right, then the last one. I love this. this look, at, look at the dog's face. This dog is utterly miserable. Like, he was made to roam the wild. And now he's in a handbag. You can go on the internet. There are videos of conductors arguing with New Yorkers. And they're like, you can't do that. You can't bring that dog on here. It's in the bag. Like, That's not what we meant. Do you know why they created the rule? Because dogs were biting passengers. Because the subway is packed. And dogs were being stepped on. So they created the rule to protect the passengers and the adults. God has given us instructions about sex to protect us and other people. See, these people thought that that, that the New York subway was kind of withholding them. Well, I can't bring my dog. No, he's like, no, we're trying to protect you, actually. God in heaven is like, I'm trying to protect you. One more analogy is sex, I've heard it say, is like fire. That in the next month or two, probably some of you will begin to heat up your fireplaces if you have one. And fire in a fireplace is powerful. And he can heat a whole house up because it's, it's contained. Fire in your grill at home or in your oven, the fire there, it can cook your food. So fire contained is very valuable. But watch this. Fire uncontained can burn down a city like that. Sex contained produces life, pleasure, fulfillment, satisfaction. Sex uncontained can produce damage. Paul said this in 1 Thessalonians 4.3. God's will is for you to be holy. little side note, holy doesn't mean perfect. Perfection is unattainable. Holy means to live differently. It means to live according to God's word and God's way. Stay away from sexual sin. Paul gets real practical. Each of you should control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and his ways. That word control means container. It means boundary. Years ago, I was driving home from college, Thanksgiving break, and I didn't sleep well the night before. I was tired. About a three-hour trip, 15 minutes from my mother's house, I fell asleep at the wheel. The only time I have done that. I woke up when I hit a guardrail. I slammed into it. The left front side of my car was just all messed up. My car then spun into the center of the the road. Thankfully, I walked away unscathed. My car had some damage, but it it wasn't totaled. What saved my life that day and at least minimally saved my car from further damage and me from further damage were guardrails. 
Do you know what boundaries are in our life? They're guardrails. Hey, so when your spirit is willing, come on, people, but the flesh is weak, you know what I'm talking about? You're like, Jesus, I want, I want to, but my body's saying, uh-uh. You have some boundaries. Watch this. You have some guardrails so you don't end up in a ditch. Hey, hey church, I say this with all oh, compassion. I've talked to so many people who've sat across from me and said, I don't know how I got here. And variety of sexual sin and damage in their life. I never intended to get here. I never intended to have that affair. I never intended to solicit that prostitute. I never intended to have this pornography habit. I never intended to have this issue. But they didn't have guardrails when the spirit was willing, but the flesh was weak. And I stand here humbly before you as your pastor to say, listen, have some guardrails. Have some boundaries in your life. Can I get a, more practical, a little more practical for you? I love you. Hey, if you're, if you're single today, or you're dating, a guardrail can be like this. I'm not going to be hanging out alone with the person I'm dating or the person I'm out on a date with past midnight. Oh, pastor, that, sound, that sounds old-fashioned. That sounds conservative. Hey, but listen. That guardrail, that boundary may prevent you from violating your own integrity. It's like I'm not, like, here's a guardrail. Don't watch a romantic movie under the covers at 1 a.m. drinking wine. (laughs) Some of you write that down right now. It's okay. Hey, hey, if, if you're married, did you know that 90% of all affairs are with a coworker? If you're attracted to someone at work, let me say this. If you are tempted sexually, sexual temptation is not sin. What you do with that temptation can become sin. All right? If you're tempted sexually, like if you find someone attractive, that means you're human. Can I free you up a little bit? Like if you're like, oh, he's kind of cute at the, at the gym or she's attractive at work, that means you're human, okay? But now what do you do with that? So if there's someone you're attractive with at work because that's where the majority of affairs are going to happen is at work. And how they usually happen, did some research. They start off, you're attracted. You have a little conversation. Maybe you, have, you go out for lunch. The next thing you know, they go out for dinner. And the next thing you know, how did I get here? Put a boundary in place. You say, you know what? I'm going to distance myself from that person. Not because they did anything wrong. Because I'm protecting my life. Billy Graham, renowned evangelist. He received a lot of heat for this. Called the Billy Graham Rule. Billy Graham rule, he asked all of his team to follow this. You do not spend time alone with the opposite sex. Now listen, people, I mean, people still criticize him for it. Like, oh, he's being overly religious. Ah, it's way too conservative. But you know what? He was a man, world-renowned, incredible impact, and he lived a life of integrity. I would rather be criticized by the world but have a life of integrity.
So you're going to set some boundaries, and people are saying, oh, it's a little bit, you won't even spend time alone with the opposite sex unless they're your spouse. That's a little bit crazy, but you'll live with integrity. And your integrity matters, whatever it takes, to live with a sense of boundary. Can I tell you a boundary I think is wise to have in your life? To not live with somebody that you're dating or you're engaged to. I know some of you in this room are doing that right now. I don't say it to condemn you. I just don't think it's wise. Now, I think if you're able to get a roommate, you're able to work out a situation where you each get a lesser place to live for the time being. Can I say as loving as your pastor, your integrity is worth spending a little more money. Is that okay? I know many people make it, oh, it's a financial decision. I think it's worth getting a roommate for the next six months. Or if you want, I'll marry you right now. Just come down front. <laughs> come on, somebody. Quit playing games with her heart. With her heart. Come on. Uh, that was totally not rehearsed. I clearly used to listen to NSYNC at some point in my life. I repent of that. <laughs> hey, but in all sincerity, if you're like, hey, pastor, she'd be homeless if we didn't move in together for this short period of time. I'm just trying to give scenarios, okay, people? But don't stay in the same room. And if you don't want to have sex with her while you're staying in the same room, then you have a whole other issue, okay, somebody? You probably shouldn't be dating, okay? <laughs> like, if you can be under the covers with them and there's no temptation at all, let's have a separate pastoral conversation. <laughs> I think you're with the wrong person. To quote Bishop T.D. Jakes, a young man came to him years ago and said, Bishop, I want this desire to have sex away from me. He says, son, one day you're going to want that desire. Come on. Hey. Hey, if, if your issue is pornography, 61.4% of Christian men have looked at pornography in the past month. 15.8% of Christian women have looked at pornography in the past month per covenant eyes. You know, it's funny, no shame. Again, no shame. You may feel a conviction of the Holy Spirit right now. But listen, take steps and measures. Get some accountability software on your devices. There's a great website called Fight the New Drug. They're not Christian. They are just an anti-pornography organization because the studies show pornography is in general terrible for humanity. It leads to more violence, more depression, more anxiety, more substance. I mean, there's nothing good in the research. So they like, their whole mission is to like help people get free of pornography. And they have software and different things that you can, you can get, very affordable, to help to walk free. All right. I love you. I love you. I do. I'm trying, I want to help you from God's word. Is that okay? I really love you. Here's the last one. This is the good news. Sexual freedom and fulfillment is possible. Sexual freedom and fulfillment is possible. Romans 13 Apostle Paul says, let us walk properly as in the daytime. Now, what he's referring to there is not physical daytime. It was often night and day were used as metaphors of like the night was when you, before you came to Christ and day was after you came to Christ. So he's saying, 
Live as a new creation. Live as a follower of Jesus. Not in orgies or drunkenness. I mean, Paul got real. <laughs> Not in sexual morality and sensuality and quarreling and jealousy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Make no provision for the flesh. So have boundaries in your life. That's what he's talking about. Paul went on to say in 2 Timothy 2.22, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace. You know, nutritionists will tell you when you're trying to eat healthier that to not just abstain from junk food, but to make what they call healthy swaps. So maybe you enjoy ice cream each night. They'll say, hey, instead of having a bowl of ice cream, Try some Greek yogurt. Although we all know it's not the same, but we, we, we appreciate their efforts. They even sound like it's the same. Like, bro, we know it's the same. We, we know, we know. If not, it wouldn't have this issue. But my favorite's like, you know, you know, they say, hey, don't eat potato chips. Eat kale chips. But I'll never eat kale chips in my life. Kale should not be made into a chip, and cauliflower should never be a crust, okay? <laughs> Stay in your lane, veggies. Stay in your lane. Can I get an amen from God's people, okay? You ever had cauliflower crust pizza? It's horrible. It's horrible. <laughs> but what they want you to do is like, hey, like, you know, don't eat pizza, eat a salad, right? They, they want you to basically not just avoid the junk food, but eat a healthy alternative that's nutrient-filled. Here's what Paul is saying. I don't want you to just, like, have to avoid sin. I want you to pursue righteousness. So avoid ungodly pleasure and pursue God's purpose. Because... It's not just avoiding the bad things, it's pursuing God's will. So I want to challenge you right now, listen, all of you in this room, is to go all in with God. Maybe you've kind of been like, oh, I'm in church this week, I'm out for a month, in church this week, you know, I'm just kind of like this. I read my Bible and I'm inspired, but then I kind of fall off. And I signed up for a community group, but I haven't showed up. And I kind of just tiptoe back and forth. And listen, and do your thing. I'm not, I'm not judging you, but I'm going to challenge you. I'm your, I'm your pastor, is go all in with God. Just give God a real shot. Say, I'm going to trust you fully. I'm going to read your word. I'm going to do what it says even when I don't like it. I'm going to still do what it says. I'm going to get into a community group. I'm going to get some healthy accountability. I'm going to get planted in the local church. I'm going to get involved. I'm going to go all in with you. And just, just test God and see that you will not experience the fulfillment that comes with walking in his purpose. In fact, the Center for Bible Engagement in 2009 did a study. They found, they looked at what happens in someone's life if you read the Bible most days of the week. They looked at if you read your Bible at least four times a week. You know what they found? People's, people who read the Bible at least four times a week have a 59% less likelihood of looking at pornography. Watch this. They have a 68% less likelihood of being unfaithful to their spouse. Do you want to know why? Because the Bible is living and active. When you read it, it reads you. It shapes you. 
It convicts you. It helps form you. Let me summarize. To walk in sexual freedom, three things I want to advise you to do. All from God's word and supported by the research. Number one is read your Bible most days of the week. Again, we're not asking for perfection. Hey, listen, I'm helping you out. If you come to church, it's already one day. Come on, somebody. Just three more days. You can do it. You can do it. Hey, number two is set healthy boundaries. I don't know what it is for you. Some of you get some accountability software on your devices. Maybe some of you need to draw some boundaries with the person you're dating. Maybe some of you need to create some distance with the person at work. Set some boundaries. Then lastly is get honest with someone about your sexual struggles. Just be honest. Like tell somebody. Let me ask you this. Does someone know where you're tempted? Because someone should. It will help you. Like you have a friend in your life. Hey, this is the area I'm tempted. So they can pray for you. They can support you. They can ask you the hard questions. Can I tell you, this is why we have community groups. I preached this four weeks ago. I'm going to say it again. We have community groups so you will build relationships with somebody. You can take the mask off and you can be honest. And you can say, hey, I've had a battle with pornography for years. Or you can say, hey, you know what? I haven't crossed the line, but I've thought about it with this woman at work or with this man at work. Or, hey, you know what? I've been sleeping with my boyfriend or my girlfriend. They can pray for you. They can support you. They can come alongside you. I close with talking about sexual fulfillment. Because God does not just want you to be free, although he does. He wants to be fulfilled. 1 Corinthians 7, Paul says, The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs, and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority of his body to his wife. Paul says, if you're married, you're called to serve your spouse's needs. Not in a weird way, like, like as you would serve your spouse in any other area of your life, serve your spouse sexually. I love what the Proverbs says in Proverbs 5. Again, some of you will be surprised that this is in your Bible, but it is. Verse 18, may your fountain be blessed. May you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. So the author of this proverb wrote this because in that time, people had fountains, like a well. They had a fountain in their in their property. And nobody would have ever used their neighbor's fountain to quench your thirst. And he says in the same way the fountain in your yard can quench your thirst, your spouse can completely sexually satisfy you. He says enjoy your spouse. Enjoy because complete sexual satisfaction is found in the one that you're married with. Dr. John Gottman, he's a marriage and and sex researcher. He did this significant research on married couples who have thriving sex lives. He found 13 characteristics that led to a thriving sex life. You can research it. If you type in 13 characteristics of a thriving sex life, John Gottman, you'll see the full list. 13's a lot. I'm going to give you five of them. And honestly, when you read read the list, you're kind of surprised. Like, wow, these are pretty, pretty simple. He did a, a, another study looked at couples who, who have sex lives that are not thriving. And it's almost the exact opposite of what he found is thriving. 
But I want to give you what he said helps couples have a thriving sex life. Married folks, write this down. Single folks, write this for your future. Number one, say I love you every day. Tell them I love you. Again, it seems so simple. But say I love you. Well, she knows I love her. But say you love her. Number two is weekly dates. Hey, if you're married and you're not having a weekly date, this is another sign from God. Have a weekly date. I preached this two weeks ago. Have a weekly date. Put the kids to bed early tonight. Come on, somebody. Have that date. Number three is physical affection. But actually, here's what John Gottman found. Ready for this? Some of you are about to get very uncomfortable. He found actually what the type of affection that leads to a thriving sex life is public displays of affection. Go ahead right now. Kiss your wife. Come on, somebody. There you go. Come on. Here's the next one. Are you ready for it? These were exact words from his website. Passionately kiss one another. Have a make-out session tonight. Just make out. In the kitchen. Just go ahead. Go ham. Go ham. And they said passionately, actually specifically, he said passionately, they passionately kiss one another spontaneously. Like just go up and just start kissing your spouse. What are you doing? Just do it. Just do it. Aren't you glad you came to church today? I'm helping you out right now. About to be a great night in your house tonight. Come on, married people. Number, last one, this one. Is they made sex a priority. So it wasn't like, well, if we feel like it, if so, if we have enough energy, if the kids get to bed early. No, it's like these couples were like, hey, kids, it's bedtime. Dad, it's 5 o'clock. It's bedtime. Blackout shades. Take the alarm clock out of their room. Lock the door. It's bedtime. They made it a priority. They made it a priority. I hope it helped you today, church. That was my heart. That was my hope. Hey, listen, my heart is your pastor. God's heart for you is for you to walk in sexual freedom and fulfillment. But that happens when we follow God's plan for sexuality. Can I pray for you today?